At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he made one thing very clear. He, he wasn't looking for people who would sit and watch ministry. He, he was looking for people who would actually get up and follow him, who would get involved. He, he's not interested at all in people who are just sitting on the fence. Look at how he said it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus made it clear that it was in the getting off of the fence, in the becoming involved, that people could ultimately experience him making them into all they were created to be. If we're going to experience the transformative touch of Jesus in our lives, if we're going to experience the fullness of his promise in our lives, then, then we have to stop watching and listening and we have to start getting up and following. As we move through the series All In, this is this weekend's truth. Jesus calls us to be active not passive. Jesus calls us to be participants and not merely spectators. He wants us involved. And the application to this is pretty simple. He said, if you follow me, then I'll make you into what I've created you to be. The application is if we want to fully wake up to Jesus, if we really want to experience what he, he came to unfold into our lives, life and life in all of its fullness. And if we want to live our lives to make a difference, if we want to help wake others up to Jesus and we want to help them to experience life and life to the full, then, then we have to be involved. And we have to be involved, not just as individuals, we have to be involved together in community. And that word together is a big part of involvement. And yet it doesn't match our nature. It doesn't match our natural propensities. And it doesn't match our culture at all. Because there's a lot of involvement in this world. But we do it on our own terms, individually, in our own way. But, but God calls us to be involved together. Look at the use of the word together in a lot of his teachings. Look at Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. For where two or three come together, they get involved together in my name, Jesus says. There am I with them. It doesn't mean he disappears when we're alone. It means that his power and his promises are experienced in a unique way, in an enlarged way, when we get involved together. Acts chapter 2 is the unfolding of the very first church. And, and you have to remember, this is a church that was, you know, started by about 120 people. And it was in a faraway corner of the world, the world that was dominated by the Roman Empire. These people weren't known. There wasn't even a prayer, it seemed, that they could make a difference in the world. When Jesus said, you're the light of the world, you're going to change the world, it was, it was kind of a laughable thing at the time, it appeared, because there's no way these 120 could do any impact to the Roman Empire. And yet, over a little bit of time, they conquered the Roman Empire. How? Because they got involved together. Look at what the Bible says in the beginning days of that early church. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. There's that word together. They were all involved together in one place. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All the believers were together. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. They were involved together, participating together. And as a result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The way God created life change in their world was through all of these people committing, making the choice to be involved, yes, but not alone, involved together in the context of community. And then when these people found Jesus, uh, experienced salvation, God added them to their number. They too became involved together. Here's the reality. Our health and effectiveness and impact as individual believers, our health, effectiveness, and impact as a church family ultimately depends on us being involved together. It's the only way it happens. The Bible talks a lot about how the church, God's family, is clearly pictured by the physical body. You can read about it in one place in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, you know, he says, you know, the human body is made up of all kinds of individual parts. You know, you've got, you've got eyeballs, you've got ears, you've got fingers and hands, you've got toes and your feet and legs and arms. Pretty good how I put all this together. Isn't that pretty good? And, and you've got this, all these parts... And if you think about it, the only way the human body works is if all of the parts are involved together. That's when it works. But if all the parts aren't involved together, the body isn't healthy. It's not effective. It's not impacting. And we know there are diseases that actually destroy the ability for the parts to to be involved together. My dad had polio when he was 17 years old and so his legs never functioned like they were supposed to be he his parts weren't involved together we know of other diseases where the body's just not involved together and it makes it very difficult to function if you want a, a more humorous picture of what a body looks like when the parts aren't involved together you should see me dance i mean it just the parts just don't work in harmony right we know it has to be involved together and god says that's what the church is like In order to function, we have to realize that we all are a different part with a different gift and a different unique contribution. And the only way the church functions as it's supposed to and impacts as it's supposed to is if we're involved together. And when you think about it, that's really the difference between the world and what we have without God and the church and what we have with God. Because the world's defined by rugged individualism. We can do it on our own and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, as the cliche goes, and and we go off on our own and do our own thing, and everybody's responsible for themselves. That's how the world is. And you know what? It's turned the world into a very dark and destructive place. It's, It's a place filled with selfishness, which is exactly what happens when everybody plays the role of an independent individual. But but God's called his church to be something very different. God's called his church to help us to experience what he originally created us to experience. And if you remember, he made it clear at creation, he first just created Adam. And even though Adam had this perfect paradise, God looked down and said, it's not good that the man should be alone. It's not how I've built humanity. Humanity's not built for independent individualism. It's built for relationship and community. And the church is a place where that's supposed to happen. When we follow Jesus, this is what's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be pursuing individualism, but interdependence 
the way God created us to live. And when we depend on each other and we get involved together, what happens is it results in unselfishness and compassion and generosity. And, and what happens is we become stronger. The world feels strong because it gets to do its own thing, be individuals, but it makes it weak. The church gets to be involved together, which makes us strong. As the Bible says, two are better than one. One falls down, the other can pick the other one up. If it's cold, then they can keep each other warm. It's being involved together that makes us strong, which is why so many are so weak in this world. And sadly, in the church of Jesus Christ, among those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, very often we pursue the life of faith in the same way the world pursues their lives, as individuals on our own. But we have to start doing it as God's called us to do it, together. If we want to experience what God's designed us to experience as individuals and as a church family, we have to be involved together. That's what happened to the early church. That's how it overcame the world. It became the light of the world. Look at the early church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. We must be involved in praying together. I mean, we have to get involved together. Praying's great. We should be praying on our own. But we should be involved in praying together because together, collectively, two prayers are more powerful than one and a hundred prayers are more powerful than five and 20,000 praying people together are certainly going to create a greater impact than a hundred. We have to be involved together in praying. They all join together constantly in prayer. We also, as we look in that early church, if we want to be as impacted and impacting as they were, we must be involved in worshiping together. In Acts 2.46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, praising God, worshiping together. It's good to worship alone, but it's better to worship together, to be involved in worshiping together. You just think about it. Every day, aren't we in a world that's constantly dismissing and discounting God and often denigrating him, tearing him down? It's, it's hard to stay encouraged. It's hard to grow in our faith. We should long at the core of our being to get together more and more to be involved in worshiping together because nothing stirs us up to love and good works and to grow in faith more than than to be with other people who are not denigrating God, but worshiping him and praising him. We need to get involved in worshiping God together. It'll change us. We we need to be involved in growing together. That's what the early church was about as you walk through Acts chapter 2. We must be involved in growing together. I grew up in a religious home, a religious experience in the early days, and I'm going to tell you, often religion is defined by what we've done, not what we're doing. In other words, I've done catechism, I've done baptism, I've done my first communion, I'm all good. I'm Catholic or Baptist or Episcopalian or whatever we call ourselves and and it's all about these things I've done. But it's not about growing. But every relationship is defined not about what we did, it's about what we're now doing. I mean, my marriage to Roxanne doesn't remain intimate and strong and, and meaningful because... 35 years ago, we said, I do. It stays strong and dynamic and intimate because each day she makes me change even more. That's kind of where it comes down to. How are you going to grow for me today, Brad? You know, that kind of a deal. 
We must be involved in growing together. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, involved together, in devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The Bible tells us why. Proverbs 27.17, iron sharpens iron. When we devote ourselves and get involved in growing together, we're, we're creating tension points and sparks and accountability. We stir each other up to love and good works, as Hebrews 10.24 talks about. Here at Northridge, we're about life change, but life change doesn't happen if we're not doing it together. We stagnate alone. If we're going to experience all that Jesus has for us, the fullness of his power as individuals and as a church family like the early believers did, then then we must be involved in serving together. I mean, we really do have to be. They were, Acts 2.44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. I mean, they were serving each other. And Galatians 5 continues that story, verses 13 and 14. Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to serve one another. We must be involved together in serving. Because we can do so much more serving together than serving alone, can't we? I mean, really. Alone, it's simple addition, but together, it's multiplication. There's no synergy as individuals, but you put us together in serving, and there's synergy that creates exponential impact. I mean, we... We can barely change our family alone, but we can change the world together. That's what the early church did. God's not called us to go at life as individuals. God's called us at life in life not to go it alone. It's not good to be alone. He's called us to, to be involved in serving together. And it doesn't stop there. I mean, yes, we need to be involved in praying together and in worshiping together and in growing together and serving together, these are awesome things. Most of us can entertain them, but, but if we're going to experience the fullness of God and the fullness of our potential impact in this world, we must be involved in giving together. Giving together. In Acts 2.45, they were selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. They gave to and through the church. Everyone didn't just give however they wanted. They gave as God had commanded to the, to the church as the storehouse so that they could not just be doing addition in their giving but have synergy and exponential impact. They gave through his church together. And you'll see it later in this talk how they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now it's interesting to me how, how easy the other areas are to accept. It, it's fascinating to me and... I do a lot of teaching, and I'm going to tell you, it's fascinating to me to see crowd reactions. And I was up here, and I was going, we need to be, if we're going to experience fullness, God, we need to be involved in praying together. And I was watching, you go, yeah, yeah, we should be praying together. We need to be involved in worshiping together. Yeah, Brad, we should sing more. Less of you, more of the music. That'd be awesome. And then I'm saying, we should be involved more in growing together. Yeah, that'd be good. That's okay. We should be involved more in serving together. And even though a lot of people don't serve here, a lot of people do. And so everybody agreed that, yeah, people should be serving more. Some of you would say, were thinking, yeah, more people should be serving. Some of you were thinking, yes, you should be serving me more. I mean, but you're kind of, yeah, yeah, we should be involved in serving together. And then all of a sudden, I... I, I, it's the Bible, it's the same passage of scripture, the same church, the same thing going on, the same thing that opened up the fullness of God. And I, we should be involved in giving together. And everyone went, crap, not that again. <laughs> Selling their possessions and goods and gave anyone as he had need. Do you realize 
When it comes to fulfilling God's missions for his church, it takes all of us being involved, not just in all the other things, but in giving as well. In fact, the reason that God in his wisdom instituted the tithe, and just so you know, the tithe is talking about 10%. God gives us 100% of all we have, and he doesn't say you have to give it all back. He, he, you know what he says? He says, all I'm asking is that you prove that you know where it comes from. You prove that you love the provider more than the provision, the giver more than the gift. Just, just you play with 90% of it, you know, unless you really want to be generous, but give 10%. That's the tithe. And the reason God instituted the tithes was so that when his people were obedient and got involved together in giving to the storehouse, to the place where he calls us, to his church, that there would be food in his house, that we could do his work in the world. Look at Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I mean, don't just give it wherever you want. Bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that my will can be accomplished, that my mission can be accomplished. God created in his wisdom the tithe so that it could go to resourcing his storehouse, his church, to fulfill his mission in the world. It's called the storehouse principle. It's a principle that's been lost on a lot of people, even those who give. And I have to tell you right up front, this is important for you to hear. Are you ready? This is not my idea. It's God's idea. Here's my idea. I want to keep all of it for me. In fact, I want you to give all of yours to me. That's my idea. But, but God's idea is that he's the one that gives it all. And that we're supposed to then give 10% back to the place he's called us to give it. To his storehouse. Malachi makes it clear. And it was true in the Old Testament. Most people have no problem with that. But it's also true in the New Testament. You, you need to know that. That the whole idea of tithing started before the law. It started with Abraham who lived by faith. He was the father of faith. Israel didn't even exist yet. And he was called to tithe because God was still the provider 100%. And he still wanted his people to recognize that he was the provider to be generous and to give. And then the law was instituted when Israel was formed. And a bunch of other regulations and rituals. And the tithe continued through that. And, And then moves into the New Testament and... Jesus kept talking about the tithe and there are a lot of other responsibilities but you should still be giving, you should be doing that. And and then Paul came along, the apostle, and he was talking to churches and you know what he did? He talked about the tithe again. In 1 Corinthians 16 too, he says, he's talking to the church at Corinth and the church made up of people who were supposed to be giving to the storehouse and he says, you should be laying in store on the first day of the week so so that emergency collections aren't having to be taken so that you can be meeting the needs Food can be in his house in the world. The tithe goes all the way through the Bible. It's God's idea. That lay in store in 1 Corinthians 6.2 is the word for storehouse. It's, it's taking Malachi 3.10 and bringing it right into the church's responsibility. He still calls us to give the tithe to the storehouse. Now some say, and this is kind of insider baseball. Some of you don't care. God calls me to give. Okay, I'll give. I'm good with that. But, but insider baseball in the church, there are some who say the tithe, the giving of 10% is based on law. That's the law given to Israel. The New Testament is about grace. It's based on grace. And so the tithe belongs in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. That's what they say. Can I just give you three words? It's not true. They can say it. People can say anything. 
I can say I am the greatest dunker of basketballs in the history of the world. I can say it. I just can't. My vertical jump's three inches. It's really not true. It's not based on law versus grace. You see, grace doesn't cancel out the requirements of generosity. Grace creates a greater demand for generosity. But let's just pretend for a minute. Because we like to pretend. I mean, Christians love to pretend. We love to get in church and pretend like we're really following Jesus, don't we? Oh, was that too honest? I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But we like to play pretend. And so let's just pretend for a minute. Let's pretend, it's not true, but let's pretend that the tithe is based upon Old Testament law and in New Testament grace, we're not responsible to tithe. Let's say that's true. Let's just pretend it for a minute. Do you know what that would mean? That would mean in the New Testament, God is demanding for us to give more Not less, because grace never gives less than the law. It always goes further than the law. Always. You want me to give you an example? Jesus was teaching about the Old Testament versus the New, and he he was saying, you know, in the Old Testament, you've heard it said, you know the law, um, it's part of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. You've heard that, right? Thou shalt not kill. I just want you to know, I believe that's a good principle for the New Testament day of grace too, don't you? Should not kill. But then he says, but I want you to know, in this day of grace, where it's not just all about rules and regulations, you can't even hate your brother. He says, it's not just a bad thing to murder, it's an awful thing to hate, and hate is just as evil as murder is. Why did he say that? Because grace always goes further than the law. This is just, grace raises the ante on the law. Here's the problem. People who claim that the tithe doesn't apply to the New Testament day of grace generally make that application so they can give less. I've heard it all the time. I don't have to give a tithe. I'm in the day of grace. And what they're saying is I don't have to give much anymore. That was for law, not grace. That doesn't even make sense. Here's what's interesting to me. They're using grace. You know grace. The grace that caused Jesus to give everything. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Jesus gave up his life for us because of grace. He didn't have to die. We had to die. But grace always goes further, so he died in our place. And people take grace and they use it to justify their disobedience and their lack of grace. It's an wrong thing. Now look at you can do anything you want to do. You're free to do anything you want to do. God's given us free choice, but would you please stop pretending that grace is best defined by you being selfish rather than unselfish, by you not being generous rather than generous? Can we start telling the truth about it? It's important. It's not grace to not give. That's an excuse that rationalizes disobedience and the lack of generosity. Now, there are others who say, and you thought I was done with that, but no, I'm not. There are others who say that the tithe doesn't have to go to the church. And I've heard a lot about this. You know, I get letters. (laughs) We believe in giving the tithe, but we give it wherever we want. Yeah, that sounds a lot like we were before we followed Jesus. 
Rugged individualism, doing what we want, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. And that sounds like the book of Judges where everything went wrong. Jesus is here to redeem us from those times. Now we're supposed to be involved together. But they say the tithe, and they're sincere. Doesn't have to go to the church, they can go anywhere I want, but they're making that up too. It's not true because in the Bible, every single command for giving, every command for giving was dealing with giving to and through God's church. Everyone. This is New Testament now. The church is the New Testament storehouse, it's God's house. And if you're not a believer, we're not talking to you. You should give to the Red Cross. Don't give to God's church because God's church doesn't function by people who don't know God giving to it. God's church functions by people who really know grace giving by grace. But to God's people, he says the New Testament church is the storehouse. It's God's house. When Paul was challenging people to give, like the church at Corinth, church at he was challenging the churches. What are churches made up of? people and how does the church then have the ability to invest against the world how because the people gave to the storehouse to the church it's the only way it functions when Paul thanked the church at Philippi for for giving he was thanking the church because the people had already given their tithe to the storehouse God's people gave to the church And I want you to realize there are a lot of great charities out there. There are a ton of great charities in our world. There's Red Cross, to name a more secular one. There's there's Samaritan's Purse and even World Vision, to name some Christian charities. But, But what was it that Jesus said would prevail against the gates of hell? Oh, yes. I will build World Vision, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I remember. Oh, wait a minute. That's not in the Bible. He said, I will build the... Yes, thanks for helping me out there. I really appreciate the support. Just showed you how many agree with me. I'll build the church and the gates of hell won't withstand it. He didn't say I'll build United Way and the gates of hell won't pray. He didn't say I'll build a college football team so make sure you give your millions to a college football team. That'll prevail against the gates of hell. Our team can't even prevail against Division Three teams. I mean, seriously? <laughs> Time for a better investment. Go Spartans! You know, that kind of deal. All right. That's going to build the church at Brighton. <laughs> Jesus said to bring the first fruits to the storehouse of the church. Some charities might fight a slice of hell, but the church of God is God's plan to freeze hell altogether, and it's time people get involved in giving together to the storehouse. Now, giving is like every other area of our spiritual lives. As with prayer and worship and growing and serving, when we get involved in giving together, we can do significantly more than we can do individually. And then, when giving, God makes this unique promise. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is when we're involved together in giving to the storehouse. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. He's not saying if you drive a small car and you give, you'll get to drive a big car. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you live small and empty and meaningless lives and then start trusting him enough to obey him and giving the way he commands, you will start experiencing large and full and meaningful lives. He will prosper you. Test him in this. We must be involved in giving together if we're going to experience what God wants us 
to experience as individuals and as a church. You see that? And it doesn't end there. We have to be involved in praying together and worshiping together, growing together, serving together, giving together. And we also have to be involved in sacrificing together. And this is in every area. You know, there need to be seasons where we are involved in sacrificing together in prayer. Where we're just calling on God, sacrificing to do it. Where we're involved in worshiping together, sacrificially, just setting aside more time to worship him because we just really need to unleash him. There need to be times when we when we grow together sacrificially and we serve together sacrificially where we set aside time and do it. And there needs to be times when we sacrificially give together. And what's interesting is almost every single weekend at Northridge Church, if you're a guest here, you wouldn't know it. This is your first talk that you're hearing or whatever. But almost every weekend at Northridge, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to get you involved in praying together and in worshiping together and growing together and serving together. We talk about those things all the time and very seldom do we actually talk about the giving thing. And so a lot of people are going, oh my gosh, isn't this your fourth weekend on this? (laughs) Yeah, like four out of a thousand. And there have to be times when we sacrifice together even in being involved in giving. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They loved God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because they loved God this much, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They knew that God owned it all. So what they did was they willingly shared everything they had. And from time to time, and this is crazy, those who owned lands or houses, those who had stored resources beyond simple income, they actually sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. Now notice this. I mean, this is crazy. They're selling even houses. Not everybody, but some sold houses and lands, gave them stored resources and, and gave it to God. That's pretty phenomenal, right? Talk about going beyond the tithe. But notice where they put it. At the apostles' feet. You know what people would say today? Hey, I stole my house and I can give it any freaking way I want to. I'm not sure they'd say freaking. I mean, not if they love Jesus, but I mean, I don't. So, you know, I can. I, I can give it any way I want to. But where did they take it? To the church. Now, it's true. God says the tithe goes to the storehouse. And it's also true. He said offerings can go anywhere. But you know, in the New Testament, where most offerings beyond the tithe went, can you guess? To the church, you know why? Because every other ministry focuses on a narrow investment. The church focuses on all that God's called us to be. And it's investing against the world when the church is doing right. It's a big deal. Their sacrifices led to changing the world. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 3 through 9. Look what it says, the Macedonian churches. It's talking about the churches, not individuals. The churches, and how did the churches have any kind of resources? Because the individuals tithed, they gave. And they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And so he looks at the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth, and he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You too should be a church that can give, which means your individuals are obediently tithing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Man, I love reading stories like that. I love, I love reading about how in the book of Acts people like even sold property and stuff so that they could give more. Isn't, doesn't that blow you away? And, that Macedonians, even in poverty, wanted to give graciously? Unbelievable. I used to, as a pastor, think, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world where that was happening in God's church today? Maybe we could change the world too. Well, you know what I've discovered? It is happening in God's church today. 
It's happening here today. Do you want to go from reading about God as history to experiencing him in real time? All you have to do is learn the stories of people who are involved together, like this one. Seven years ago, we were about $208,000 in debt, and we couldn't even afford to pay our bills. Um, matter of fact, we were living on credit cards, and we, you know, basically lived the American dream in front of everybody, and we're getting deeper and deeper. We were just recently married, and we ended up uh, owning a couple businesses, and things got tough, and we got into a really dark place. Just kept on thinking, one more deal, one more deal, we'll get out of this. And uh, we kept on getting farther and farther in debt. You get to the point that you just think that, you know, how am I going to get through this day? We initially heard about Northridge uh, through a mailer. We were still trying to find our way just to even go to church on a regular basis, I think. And I thought, well, you know, this would be a good place. Maybe we could go try it. And um, it was the beginning of just a miraculous transformation for both of us. I believe it was in January of 2009 we went to Financial Peace University. We learned about stewardship understanding what that meant um, to not only steward your time and your talent, but your money and everything he's given you. We weren't giving like we were supposed to be giving. Mm -hmm. She would tell me we need to give more, and I'm like, we will as soon as we get rid of this stuff. So we, we were watch, worshiping the stuff, but the stuff is not what it's all about. Mm -hmm. It's God owns everything, and you're a steward, and you need to be a good steward with it. We started serving and we just really got engaged and involved and it was it transformed us from the inside out when you start serving and 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 becoming a good steward god's going to trust you and bless you with more and it was just a snowball effect that i will never forget we paid everything off we did it the way you know we we agreed to those terms and we 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 went through and paid everything off when you trust and obey god you'll just it's amazing what will happen Back seven years ago, $208,000 in debt, we couldn't give. I couldn't give time, I couldn't give talent, I couldn't give anything. Now it doesn't, we give naturally. We wanna give more, we wanna be all in, we wanna give everything that we can. We wanna make a difference from 20 years from now. We were doing Haiti, we you know, went to India, we've you know, just been, um, been able to really participate in things that we would've never been able, even dreamed of doing. It's just been a blessing to give and um, and to give with a cheerful heart. So upon hearing about the All In campaign, we decided that the Lord was speaking to us to um, put our second home up for sale. And uh, it, boy, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, within a couple weeks, we had an offer. So now we have even more time and more resource to give to him, and it's just a great feeling. What this series is about is all in, and sometimes that means sacrificing some things that you have been holding on to, and God's trying tough. to say, yeah. you know what, my son or my daughter, it's time. Yeah. It's time to let go of this. God's got a bigger plan for you. And trust me, we've had nine, what, seven, eight years of just amazing transformation. I would say to anybody, give and serve, and, and the Lord will do so much because he honors that. Um, it, while you're trying to honor him with what you have, he's really honoring you and blessing you. It just is amazing. You can't outgive him. He's the biggest giver there is. <clears throat> sold a house so that they could give more time and treasure? Are you kidding me? 
But you realize it didn't start. That's their next step. But you know how that journey started? You know how they got to there? By taking the first step. A journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And every step was tough. And it's true for us as well. The furlongs aren't alone. I asked a small group of Northridge people who were significantly involved here in leading and, sh- and serving and giving to join with Roxanne and me in making our commitments to the next step in advance of you. And last weekend I said, I, I, I think the leader should step out in front of his people, not, you know, not be involved. And, and I wanted to do it in community and I wanted to do it with other people and sharing with them. They sharpened me and made me better and helped me communicate these issues in a way that was more appropriate and even stronger. And, and we made our commitments a week and a half ago or so. And from that small group, uh, my business administrator who knows the details has shared with me that over 30 individuals and couples made a commitment to take a next step that took them from anywhere from four times their present level of giving to 173 times their present level of giving. And one, one couple he told me about, uh, one individual was giving, gave $30 all of last year, $30. And they've now committed over the next two years to giving 5200 Now that's a big next step. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. There's another couple he told me about. They, in the last year, gave $18,000, but as a result of all in, they've decided, and I guess they sold some stored resources, a vacation home, in, in order to make this done. Not the Furlongs, different couple. And, and they're now committed in the next two years to give 100000 And what's exciting to me is that people are saying, I, I want to go all in. I want to be a part of this. And they're even reaching beyond their income to stored resources, sell, you know, even selling stock options, that kind of thing, so they can go, let's invest this in heaven. And now in response to all in, they're moving beyond. And I heard, I, this is crazy, the reality is we all have a next step to take in our giving journey. Every single one of us has a next step. It's not their next step, it's our next step, Right? And in our all-in devotional, if you haven't gotten one of these, we give them away. They're free. It can be life-changing. You can get it in our lobby from guest services. But in our all-in devotional on page 78, we have a giving journey chart. And all of us have a next step. And our next step is the most difficult step we've ever taken. There are those of us who have to take the first time thing. 65% of us haven't invested even the first time here in Northridge. And then there are those who have a next step to become occasional givers, giving, you know, on occasion. Then some of you are facing the next step of becoming intentional givers, giving a percentage of your income intentionally. And then others, your next step is just to full-on obey, to, to tithe, to become a tithing believer. And then some of you, your next step is to step into extravagant giving. But whatever your next step is, it's your next step. It's what you should take. I, I heard about a guy this last week who four years ago was challenged in a small group to start giving. And the guy said, I have nothing to give. And so uh, an individual took him aside and said, come on, you have nothing to give? I challenge you to give something. What can you give? And the guy said, I can give two bucks a week. I guess he was a Tim Hortons coffee drinker instead of a Starbucks coffee drinker. He could, you know, want two bucks a week. That's what he could give. And so he did. In a year, the guy came back to challenge him again. He says, are you still giving two bucks a week? He goes, yeah. He says, has God taken care of you? Yeah. Do you think you could give more? And the guy says, yeah, I can give four bucks a week now. And that was his next step. You know what happened? In the course of four years, he went from two bucks a week to full-on tithing. And I was just told that 
in this all-in campaign, he's now stepped into extravagant giving. How did he get there? By taking his next step. This is a big deal. And as you consider taking your next step and what it should be, I want to share three important principles that have helped Roxanne and me. I call them the three R's of sacrificial giving. The three R's of sacrificial giving. The first one is we have to reassess our lifestyle. You have to reassess your lifestyle. I mean, do I really need these things? Are these important to me? I reassess where all of my financial investments go. And then we have to rearrange our priorities. You have to rearrange your priorities if you're going to take your next step in giving. I, I, it's true with Roxanne and me. We've had to rearrange all of our priorities and furlongs. Anyone who steps into giving. In fact, if you're ever going to become an obedient tithing believer or an extravagant giver, you're going to have to rearrange your priorities. You know what's going to have to happen? God's going to have to become first. Do you know how most people give? Seriously. They pay all of their bills and then they buy all of their wants and then they give to God out of the leftovers. Which is why 65% don't give anything here. Because there are no leftovers. I can, I'm like you. I can spend it all. And so what I had to do to become a generous giver, I had to make God my number one priority. And so Roxanne and I now, we don't even think about bills or needs or wants until we give to God first. And this is how we've been able to expand our giving so exponentially. We don't give out of God what's left. We live out of what's left and give God out of the first fruits. Rearrange your priorities. Reorder them. And then finally, reallocate your resources. Decide to reallocate them. And I'm going to invest them in something that's going to prevail against the gates of hell. I'm going to invest them in waking the world up to Jesus. That's how the early church changed the world. And that's how we can change the world if we do it. Now, I know, can I just be honest just for a real important moment about heart issues. I know all of this is tougher for some of you than it is for others. Here at Northridge, we have a lot of single moms and dads, a lot of people who are barely eking by financially, some of them having to work two jobs by, and carrying all the responsibilities of the home. And, and these issues of giving are just like scary hard. I mean, for a family that's making 24000 that's like half of what the survivability poverty rate is. I mean, to think about giving 2400 of that, 10%, just kind of blows your head. I get it. Others of you, you know, you're making 100000 200000 more. I know I see the houses around our church. I mean, you're, you're doing something, either that or you're really in debt. But the thing is, it's like you make these large incomes. It's... Giving 10% of 200,000, 20,000, you're left with 180. That's different than making 24,000, giving 2,400. I mean, can we be honest about this? It's a lot more difficult. But let me just tell you something for those of you who are really struggling and it's more difficult for you, etc. I believe that God is capable of expanding our lives more on 90% than we can experience without God on 100%. I really believe it. And if I didn't believe that you could test God and find that he's true to his promises, I would never challenge anyone to do this. But all I'm asking you to do is take your next step, whatever that is, and you'll never regret it. Next weekend, we're going to gather as a church family and we're going to make our commitments to all in as a church family. In our all in book, we have a sample commitment card and I'm just asking every single individual and couple to be praying 
over this and saying, God, is there a next step you want me to take? If God looks at you and says, no, I don't want you taking a next step, I'm all in for that. But you just conversing with him about it. And I really encourage you, if you've missed some of the talks that we've done, that you would go back and listen to them. We give them away online. And in this devotional uh, book, I mean, there are all kinds of things that you can invest in. Go through the devotional. If you're wondering what in the world will they do with the money we're giving, we express our goals and how we'd be investing it in here if, if people just start giving like they're supposed to be giving. And, and you can see it in there. And I, I just really want to encourage you to be prayerfully considering the three hours of sacrificial giving. And as you're praying, God will lead you to your next step. But, but I find that it's pretty hard, you know, thinking about giving and I need it more and, you know, what's going to happen with it? What's it look like when it happens? Well, we have a pretty good picture. Even though only 35% of the people who um, attend Northridge give anything and only about 5% tithe, you can at least get a glimpse of what happens when people get involved together. It's an amazing thing when people get involved together in praying and growing and worshiping and serving and giving and sacrificing. It's amazing because all of a sudden you can do ministry that can change the world. You can reach into portions of our community and the portions of our culture and the world that you couldn't ever touch as individuals. And God's doing it here. And we thought it would be good to show you a, a, at least a small picture of what God's doing because of those who are involved together here at Northridge. And once you see this picture, I'll come up and we'll finish the service. Watch this. Awesome. I'm going to ask you to be seated just for one more moment and then we'll be dismissed. Do you realize that individually we couldn't do any of this? As individuals, we couldn't reach into the prison systems here in our region and state of Michigan and impact so many people's lives who so desperately need some hope in Jesus. Individually, we couldn't reach into orphans' lives down in Haiti or reach into the to Ypsilanti with Hope Clinic and Hope Soup, Soup Kitchen or reach into Detroit with all the ministry we're doing down there. Individually, we couldn't reach the thousands of people for Jesus we've reached as a ministry in just the last couple of years. Individually, we couldn't do any of this. But you know what? When we get involved together, we can wake the world up to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, I believe All In is creating a coming tsunami for the kingdom of God because all that we do, and this is an edited version, all that we do as a ministry right now is done on such a small percentage of people who attend here being involved in any way towards giving. Do you know what's going to happen when each and every one of us take our next step? We're going to be able to change this world. We're going to finally be able to experience what the early church experienced, what Jesus said we could experience. We're going to be the light of the world because each and every one of us is finally experiencing him as the light of our lives and trusting him. 
I have two vital questions I want you to ask this week all along. The first one is, are you presently involved together in each of these areas? Are you involved together in praying and worshiping and growing and serving and giving and sacrificing? Are you? Analyze your life because it really helps you to see where you are. And then ask this vital question. What's my next step in being involved together in each of these areas? How are you going to step into greater involvement as a part of your church community? And next weekend in particular, we're looking at the giving commitment. And so I'm so excited about what's going to happen because you know what happens when we set aside all idols from our lives and we make God first? You know what happens? We experience God, life, and fullness And can you imagine what's going to happen when we all experience that? We're going to see the world change. I'm glad to do it with you. Can't wait to see you next weekend. Thanks, everybody.